0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.
1: There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. Welcome everyone to the Storybox. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the story box together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. Ovarian cancer takes the life of 50% of the women who are diagnosed with it, the highest mortality rate of any gender-specific cancer, believe it or not, because most cases aren't identified until it's too late. And sadly, there is not enough information being passed out out there into the world about this one deadly cancer. My guest today is Kylie Zagger. And she is trying to put an end to that lack of information out there into the world by better helping those that may not know that they do have ovarian cancer or don't know the signs or symptoms of it. She is putting out so much information, helpful information actually, to help those uh, women who may not know and those women who do know uh, because that is what needs to happen. We need to uh, not only... Uh, Help those that do have it, but those that don't even know that they have it, they need to be helped at the same time. And Kylie joined Aspira as the Chief Operating Officer, combining commercial sales and operations into one specific role. Kylie is one of those people that has a lot of experience, over 20 years, in fact, in the healthcare sphere, which means she can be trusted and she knows her stuff. Kylie oversees the entire provider and patient experience from acquisition to billing. Her goal is to create a platform that scales a business and retains a customer experience that is second to none. Prior to joining Aspira Women's Health, Kylie served at various Fortune 500 healthcare companies, including the St. Jude Medical, Intuitive, Surgical, and General Electric Healthcare. Kylie joined Aspira because of a deep passion for the company's mission and vision, She has personally experienced the devastating nature of late stage ovarian cancer beginning with her mother's diagnosis at the young age of just 40 years old which can sadly happen and it does go undiagnosed for a lot of women. And her mother's passing from this horrific disease at just the age of 46 in 1999. Because of this, she is fiercely committed to the prevention, early detection, and mitigation of late-stage diagnosis of ovarian cancer. So this is a conversation that I wanted to have uh, with Kylie because she is an incredible human being at that. She's really passionate, you can tell as uh, you hear her her story. But more than that, she's an incredible leader, one that is helping transform this world for the better. And uh, this is an area that um, I know affects many, many women across the world. And if I can do my bit in helping to spread this message far and wide, then, you know, I'll do just that. So, If you do get something from this conversation, please share it around with your friends and family to everyone know about this one. Don't forget before you go to subscribe and leave a rating and review before you go as well. All right, my friends, you know what time it is. It is time to journey with me into the story box as we unbox the story, the wisdom and the advice of none other than Kylie Zaga.
0: Thank you so much, Jay. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me.
1: You're more than welcome. Your resume and your bio is really, really long. So if I kept it short in the introduction, it's because there is so much to it. Uh, I wanted to point out all the actual, the main points for people to to hear. Uh, but you've got a lot of experience, which is the main thing. So people, I believe, can trust you that you know, you know your stuff, <laughs> essentially. But before we dive into your backstory, how you got started doing this amazing work and Uh, all the other disruption things that we, I'm excited to speak with you about. My very first question to you is, what does success look like for you?
0: So in my life, um, I started at a very young age with an exposure to ovarian cancer. So when my Mom was 38 years old, and I was 11 years old. Um, she started with all of the benign, vague signs and symptoms that that happened to women. Um, and, and she was misdiagnosed by her peers. Um, by 40, she ended up with late stage ovarian cancer with a very grim prognosis. And by the age of 46, uh, she lost her life to the disease. So um, I feel like I have lived my my life now at 42 years old, um, operating with a bit of the mindset of life can be gone and it's very fragile. And you have two resources that are finite and precious and it's time and it's energy. And really um, that's what you have to be able to optimize and maximize. But I also had witnessed a very broken healthcare system. Um, I watched, you know, all the signs and symptoms she had was landed with a urologist, landed with a chiropractor, landed with a a GI physician, nothing landed with the GYN, which you would think ovarian cancer would. And, you know, I saw this very verticalized care and thought it's, this is not how, you know, people should be treated. People are whole beings and the system is broken. And I, and I have to believe that people are dying at paces they don't have to, if we could fix this. So it was always ingrained in my brain that I wanted to be part of healthcare, but I wasn't smart enough to go and be a physician. I tried, but I definitely failed out of biology. So, you know, pivoted to what I was, you know, a little bit more comfortable with, which was business. Um, I started my career at GE in the finance, you know, side of things, and then progressed into healthcare with the thought of success meaning for me at the end of the day, changing something and and driving towards something that could, you know, leave the world better than I had experienced it. And although, you know, my life might end up the same as my mom's, who knows, I need to change that for the next generation. And if I can have a part in that, um, it would be success for me.
1: So Mm. you mentioned something interesting there that I do want to touch on in the fact that the medical system is broken. And your mum kind of to me kind of feels like your mum fell through the cracks of the medical system quite a bit and i'm curious after you've experienced all these things is it because this, the system is actually broken in of itself that a lot of people do fall through the cracks or why is some of the main reasons that people do not get the treatment that they so need
0: yeah, so I think it's a lot of factors. And I'll I'll tell you I'll be a um I'll poke the bear a little bit here because there's a lot of different opinions on this. But one, I will tell you as knowing now as what it feels like to be a mother, um women are not honest about our bodies. I lie to myself every day about minor little signs and symptoms that I push to the side because my children are more important, my friends are more important, I've got things to do and I can live with it, right? So that I believe is is absolutely the mindset of a woman. So, you know, I think there's an accountability there. Number two, I think diseases present in various ways, right? So what we have on the healthcare system side of things and in medical school are highly specialized people and we need that, right? You need your electrophysiologists, your neurophysicians, you need all of those specialties. But as we go deeper, it's those are the people you go to when you think, I've got an issue with my lower back, I need a chiropractor. Yeah. I have an issue with my stomach, I need a GI doctor. However, it might not be representative of what the disease actually is, right? My mother ended up with a urologist, a GI physician and a chiropractor, and my mother had ovarian cancer. So is it fair to say she fell through the cracks? I don't know. If if she had been with her gynecologist, it would be fair to say she fell through the cracks, but that's not what her symptoms were presenting. So is it fair to hold those physicians accountable when they haven't been trained? I don't know. And, And so my thought on this is we need to blend the horizontal and the vertical together, right? We have a very vertical system right now as as far as care goes, from my perspective. And we really need to come to a patient-centric environment where the whole person is looked at. And I think integrative care tried to drive that forward. I don't know that it was very successful in doing so, but we need to have a different approach and we definitely need a different approach with women because women especially, um, they just present in a very benign fashion. When a man has a heart attack, It's a heart attack. When a woman has a heart attack, it can feel and present in a hospital or an emergency room as anxiety, right? Just minor palpitations and it can be misdiagnosed. So men and women's bodies are different. We need to all know that and treat it that way. Probably need to think about how do we do some of this cross-training in the medical schools to ensure that there is understanding around family history. There is an understanding around the importance of genetic composition and that diseases don't always present in these deep, sign and symptom ways. They they present in a cross-functional sort of pattern. Um, but yes, I would say the system is broken. It is in desperate need of a radical um, revolution of transformation. And um, I do think there's a lot of people who are working to do this. And, and I'm very hopeful for the future. I think we've got a good shot to do it. I think people know it's time to change. We have to do something. And the, the pandemic has very much taught us that as well.
1: Do you think that diagnosing women with ovarian cancer today has become a lot better and more women are actually being diagnosed and actually getting that treatment that they need more today than they were back when your mom was diagnosed or when your mom had ovarian cancer.
0: Not at all. nothing has changed. Wow. Um, this still remains the same, and it is a horror. it's a horrifyingly deadly disease. um eighty six percent of women are diagnosed in stage three or four. and just to give the audience a perspective, in stage four, you have a seventeen percent chance of a five-year survival. in stage one, you have a ninety percent chance. but, It's the disease is a disease that whispers and we're not listening to the whispers, right? Because we just don't as women and sometimes we don't as providers, but ovarian cancer is not the only guilty offender, right? And and I think another part of this that maybe the audience doesn't know is a lot of these cancers are connected. So if you have breast cancer in your family, you are at risk potentially for colon cancer, melanoma, pancreatic cancer, ovarian cancer, There is a family of these cancers um, that exist and it's very important for people to understand that, um, you know, it's these diseases can come on, they can come on very strong and there's a lot of ways that we can get in front of it. Um, Genetics is another way we can do that.
1: I've got, I think, melanoma in my family. I think my dad has had a few melanomas cut, same with mom. Uh, So that's something that I am mindful of, but I think education for a lot of people, it we need more of it because some people, especially, I don't know, here in Australia, the attitude is, oh, she'll be right, mate. It's it's all good. Like we don't, particularly me, like if I get a pain in my back or something like that, my immediate response is, you know what, I'll, I'll be fine, take some painkillers, she'll be right, mate. It's not like I, I need to go to the doctor or anything like that, you know, so... I think education is super important, but I'm, I'm curious about, so we've got this time period of many years and th- nothing has changed. Why is that the case? Is it because of the, the broken medical system? They're not doing anything about it or what's going on?
0: So I think ovarian cancer is, is different because it's such a small case count year over year, 23,000 cases versus that of breast cancer. So the investment dollars are not as significant as some of these other diseases, that's one. Um, two, I do think it presents outside of the gynecologist's office from time to time. So it's difficult to diagnose and it it is just a very vague disease. Um, so yes, education is really important, um, but I would say more holistically outside of ovarian cancer, it is very important to to understand these cancers are connected. If you do have a family history, depending on how you feel about it, if you feel it's ethical or or not, it's something you might want to consider to have a genetics panel run so that you at least understand if you have a risk so you can be more proactive um, versus reactive. And with something like ovarian cancer or pancreatic cancer, having an ability to be proactive is very important. Um, especially when you do have such late stage diagnosis and, um, not a great five-year survival rate. Mm.
1: I forgot to mention that my grandfather, my dad's dad actually had colon cancer. I think it was oh, no, sorry, pancreatic cancer. Um, and he didn't actually go see the doctor, get a diagnosed or anything like that. He had pain. And what he would do is he took quick ease, this little tablet, For years and nothing it it was too late by the time they caught it so I mean I I guess I wanted to ask you with ovarian cancer diagnosing I know you're not a doctor you're not a medical professional or anything like that but from your experience in learning about what are some of the things to look out for Mm -hmm. uh, in your body especially for women because you are a woman what are some things that we need to look out for uh yeah
0: yeah yeah so so ovarian cancer can present with symptoms that last for more than 12 days so if it's a 12-day period of time and you have these same symptoms it can be one of them you need to go to the doctor so bloating feeling full after you eat frequent urination lower back pain weight loss or gain differences in bowel habits. So you can see how these are very benign and very easy for a working mother to say, oh, my back, I'm going to, you know, sit on the heating pad tonight and take a couple of Advils, just like your grandfather did. If a symptom lasts for 12 days consistently, there's something wrong. And at that point you need, you're, you're the only one that can say there's a problem and I'm not stopping until I get an answer. So it it really has to be an accountability and a mind shift. New neural pathways have to be developed inside of people to say, if my body's telling me something, then something is wrong. And I really need to fight until I get to the bottom of an answer. You have to probably take one further step because your provider might say to you, no problem, right? And some people will take that and say, that's all I needed to hear was my doctor to say that I'm fine and everything will be okay. If your body is speaking to you there's something wrong go to the next provider and demand an answer have your imaging have your blood work done don't stop until they even if it's the smallest little thing that ends up being benign it's better to know um, with ovarian cancer and women in particular very important that if you have any of those signs and symptoms that you demand a transvaginal ultrasound a pelvic exam right force the next step of diagnostics because there is no early detection tool for ovarian cancer but Imaging can help, you know, an actual pelvic, a manual pelvic exam can very much help and ensuring that you're disciplined about going to the gynecologist every year. Very important to understand that a pap smear does not detect for ovarian cancer. Pap smears are for cervical cancer. It's not a one fell swoop situation to make sure you're clear for cancer. Um, In all of your reproductive organs, a pap smear only will help with with cervical cancer. So taking all of these other steps and being very mindful of your body is is very, very important, as well as the connection of these diseases. So 12 days is a very important number to remember if you have those consistent signs and symptoms for that period of time. And it can be one of them. It's enough where I would start demanding answers and I wouldn't stop until I really felt comfortable with what that diagnosis is and have a solve for it. In addition to that, a preventative measure that you can take is, again, depending on how you feel about it, we have been able to prove with science that ovarian cancer is actually started in the fallopian tubes. So for those of the the listeners that don't know the anatomy, the fallopian tubes are the connectors Mm -hmm. to the ovaries, to, to the uterus. And so stage one, stage two might be starting in the in the fallopian tubes where you can't see it. So it it is a measure you could take that after your last baby, and especially if it's a C-section, instead of tying those tubes, cut them out. Take the fallopian tubes out. For those of you that um, are done having babies and it's too late, I had my fallopian tubes out a couple of years ago. They went right in through my belly button pulled them out, um, minimally invasively. And I essentially walked out of the operating room with a 72% reduction in ovarian cancer.
1: Wow. So for people that are wondering, okay, so I should get checked every single year. That is the, the minimum requirement. Um, I'm curious if does the pain oftentimes go longer than just 12 days, or is that, that's the minimum 12 days is the minimum you should look out for. Um, and then if it goes longer than that, you should definitely get checked.
0: So I would say some of those that for women, especially bloating can happen and it can happen for five or six days, especially depending on the time of month that yet you're in. Yep. But if a symptom persists for 12 days and definitely if it persists for longer than 12 days, that is something that you need to make sure that you're getting answers for. And Jay, I don't know if this is a chance to talk about, um, a cautionary tale here about the digital health revolution that we're experiencing as well, because there is a big movement around digital health that the pandemic has brought forward. And I am a huge believer in this, it has to happen. It's the only way that this horizontal healthcare revolution will actually come into place. And it's going to provide access globally um, in places that it never could before. There's really incredible companies doing amazing work to do this globally. However, for women, what remains to be very important is for for women now who have a difficult time being very honest about those signs and symptoms and potentially the gravity of those signs and symptoms who might physically go to a provider where the provider can look at them and say, you're fine. Now you're going to put a computer screen or an iPhone in front of the provider and the woman And if a woman's mindset or a provider's mindset is more of a check the box, everything's fine, we might have have a situation here where we've got an increased amount of misdiagnosis, late stage diagnosis. So with the movement of this digital health transformation, which again is so imperative, it's so important It's really going, especially for the working moms who really never have time to go to the doctor, to be able to load in and go into a telehealth appointment is really important. But you've got to be mindful and educated on the fact that your body can be presenting in a very benign way and you have to fight for the answer. And if your provider isn't giving you an answer, you have to continue to take that step forward. Don't find comfort and peace by somebody telling you, Everything is fine. Um, So I do hope and I have high hopes that the digital health transformation is going to bring great things globally. But for women in particular, you have to be very, very disciplined about how we use those tools and ensure that you're not um, giving yourself just comfort in your mind. And really your body is doing something um, that's leading you towards late stage disease.
1: What if that person or that mother has exhausted pretty much every single option on the face of the earth what can they do?
0: Um, so at that within and it's this this woman would have had signs and symptoms at that mm-hmm. point you saw I would self refer to a gyn oncologist if you if you do not feel well there is a provider that is going to be able to get to the bottom of it so this is where the vertical healthcare system becomes a beautiful thing because mm-hmm. you've got very highly trained individuals that you know, can really help get to the bottom of things. And I would get up and out of your family practice position. I would get up and out of your benign GYN. I would get away from all of the other providers that are telling you it's nothing. And I would go to the the deepest specialty you possibly can that aligns with some of the signs and symptoms. And I would fight for an answer. So if it's frequent urination that you have, I would go to a urogynecologist, right? I would If I'm a woman and I just feel like in my pelvic area, abdomen area, something isn't right, I would figure out how to get in front of a GYN oncologist and and ask all the hard questions, right? I have breast cancer. I don't know in my family, or I don't know if I do, but something's not right, and I I need to fight to get to the bottom of this, Um, and there'll be answers there. there. There just will be, but you have to be disciplined about it
1: definitely i like the persistence factor yes. <laughs> don't yes. give up i'm a yes. huge believer in persistence and my audience would know that uh, yes. i, I want to go back a little bit Kylie and and dive further into your story and how you got really started in this journey aside from the story that you did share with your mother uh, i believe that probably was inspiration but what got you started because you mentioned that you, when you tried <laughs> to study and biology wasn't your friend. I know the, the I know the feeling, <laughs> uh, but what, what made you want to keep going in, in this field? And did you feel like you had options available to you to make a difference in this space?
0: Yeah, so I, my story was kind of an interesting one. So I started in the GE Global Leadership Development Program. Um, I got the, the seat out of the University of Connecticut um, that I think GE gave to Connecticut because they were based in the state. And really, the program was rid with many, many kids from Ivy League schools. And I was, you know, sort of the default entry into the program. But we worked so, so hard for two years. I learned all of the ins and outs of of various components of the business. I was trained at the Jack Welsh um, Leadership School Crotonville um, and graduated. And from there, I knew that finance wasn't going to be for me. There was nothing about it that made my heart come alive. And that's an important composition of who I am. And I wanted to go into healthcare. I wanted to sort of try. However, I wanted to stay very far away from women's health and oncology. I, I was willing to do anything else, but I, I just felt like, oh, it's probably not the right thing to do because it's too emotional. So I talked to a bunch of people and they said, well, to go into the healthcare industry, you have to start in pharmaceutical sales. I said, great. So give me a couple of phone numbers and went on my merry way with interviews. And I actually spent a couple of days with sales reps in the field. And I said, there's no way I'm doing this. They sit you know, I'm just cannot do this. It's so boring. And I had a friend who was in medical devices. And I said, how did you get into that? You're in the operating room all day. Like, you know, and she said, well, you have to do your seven years in pharmaceuticals first. And I said, can you just introduce me to your boss? And she did. And, you know, he had the same story. And we talked a little bit about my background. And I said to him, look, you don't have to pay me, just give me a shot to let me come in and try. And, you know, he had one territory that was very broken and very much dominated by the competitor. And, I think it was one of those moments where he said, "Well, probably no harm, no foul. Let's see what she can do." And so there goes my start into healthcare. And I, I started in sales, and I love, I loved that environment. I loved being able to transform hearts and minds into um, a different direction. Right, take a great product and really try to disrupt. Um, the standard of care and move people into certain directions. So I've done everything in the healthcare space from electrophysiology, neuromodulation, surgical robotics, diagnostic imaging. Um, and I, 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 love the commercial side of the business, whether it's sales or marketing, and I tend to do transformational work or build. So I, I'm not someone that will come in um, to just keep a business alive or grow it five to 8%. I really love like Give me your messy, give me your ugly or give me your white space that you need to build into. And that's the work that that I have really enjoyed. Um, And then a couple of years ago, I made the decision that I might be ready to step into the women's health space. So um, constructed the nonprofit and um, built a medical curriculum with a designation to train physicians and then came into the industry side Um, for the very first time um, into women's health and into ovarian cancer, no less, as the chief operating officer of Aspira. So um, I had a lot of cowardly stuff going on in the beginning. And and I'm here now. And I, I think, you know, for me, it'll be um, I just need to help this company lift into a level that they'll be able to fly. And then, you know, I can't wait to go and tackle the next project. And I'm very curious about what's happening in the, the digital space and how I can provide access to all. Um, it's very important to me to have this social justice component of some of the work that I do. And there's so much work that needs to be done post-pandemic that um, I'm super excited to, to figure out what might be next.
1: Let me come back to the digital side of things in just a moment, but I'm curious, what got you across the line to step into the women's health, more specifically the ovarian cancer, if you were nervous to go there in the first place?
0: So there's not a lot of businesses that are, are specifically focused on ovarian cancer, right? It's mm-hmm. it's a very small case count Um Larger companies typically have it as part of the portfolio, but Aspire Women's Health is a company that's focused strictly on ovarian cancer, and the company needed a lot of work, Um, and it was, you know, you take the 20 years of transformation work and builds and, um, you know, and I saw the company struggling and, and felt like, maybe I can help and maybe I can help to figure out how we bring a diagnostic to market. Um, and I, I just really wanted to take a step and see if I could, you know, put some air underneath those wings and get it to, to lift a little bit. So, but I, I've spent my entire career in massive companies, Boston Scientific, Intuitive Surgical, GE Phillips. This was my first step into a smaller company. I will tell you, I love the small company environment. I, I feel like the ability to move and have an impact and the agility is just really incredible. Um, So I have fallen in love with that, that kind of um, small piece of it, but I'm I'm very curious what's gonna start to happen um, with data, with information. I think it has a potential of going really wrong. Um, And I'm also very curious about how we really move access to care globally, because that that is so necessary and became so illuminating after, you know, we're still in COVID. But to me, it became um, very profound. I was involved with the International Day of the Girl Child, which is a UN initiative. Um, And this year, it was all around, you know, the digital side of things and girls and the lack of, of that access to girls. So you think about all that needs to be done in that space and really ensuring that we get access to care out there. I do think it's going to happen digitally. So, you know, we have some work to do around that. And I, I am curious to to see what comes from those next chapters.
1: What have been some of your challenges as part of being the chief operating officer of Aspira?
0: So there, I mean, obviously it's been through the pandemic. So, you know, everything from, transforming a culture um, that is a small company is very different than doing it inside of a big company, right? People are very rooted inside of, Um, What they believe to be the way forward. So there was, you know, a lot of heavy lifting that needed to happen there. Um, Sometimes there's a bigger lift even on the technology front because maybe the investment or the infrastructure isn't in place the way that it is inside of a big company. So there were lots of moments where I walked in and I was like, oh boy, (laughs) oh boy, you know, I I was really excited about a transformation, but this one might um, really make me put my money where my mouth is at. So you know, it's one of those, but. And then I think through the pandemic, there was a lot of moments of what do we do now that health systems are shut down? And what do we do now that the physician practices are shut down? How do we access customers? What do we do about the vaccine mandate, right? A lot of um, theoretical, ethical sort of questions that I had never had to really think about or face. And you know, the the employees are so um, polarized, right? That in my position, I really had to think through How do we lead and and keep this balanced? Because it became a very emotional, politicized time for the organization and um, learned a lot out of it. But it was, you know, I wonder what the experience would have been like when we weren't in a pandemic. I think this was very much, you know, a unique time um, and a wonderful experience and time. I've learned so much, Um, so very grateful for it. But it's, yeah, the challenges are are insurmountable, um, but it's worth it. It's really worth it. It's It's been great.
1: How have you been with all the things that have been going on? You mean, you've got the pandemic to deal with, you've got all these mandates, these overly politicized things that have been going on in small business, especially. I mean, it feel, kind of feels like to me here in Sydney, Australia, that the government has kind of targeted more small business because they are small rather than big business because big business is making them more money apparently for, you know, but small business is like the backbone of the economy. To feel like they've kind of forgotten that, but that's my opinion. <laughs> anyway, yeah. but yeah. what have, how have you been able to lead forward in keeping everyone happy, s- satisfied, I guess, is that something that you've been able to do, or is it being kind of like contentions and fighting within small business for you?
0: Yeah. So I, I will say to anyone who is in this position, you will never keep everybody happy. Right. Mm-hmm. And so in my position, I've always been very firm on um, people first. Mm-hmm. And as a leader, I am a big believer in that, right? You, my team is is everything um, and you have to listen, but you have to be willing to make the tough decisions because the worst thing inside of an organization is an indecisive leader or someone that's not willing to stick their neck out for a decision that might upset people. And and I would say even for small business, you know, the very important thing to do is to stay very focused on what the mission at hand is, right? I've got, I am crystal clear that I came to this company to transform the company to build a business model that could get them to lift, mm-hmm. to help the infrastructure um, radically revolutionize <laughs> and get it to the next place. And so doing that is not always popular, right? It can't be. And so I think you've got to stay very clear, especially as a smaller business, smaller mid cap on what the task at hand is and stay crystal clear focused on that and make sure that, you know, we've, Lifted, we've doubled the size of the company, um, lifted multiple strategic plans and various business verticals. It's important, especially, you know, I, I would say the net new situations, right? Legacy is always a little bit tougher to bring along, but those net new situations that are gonna prove out to be the future of the company, you've gotta stay razor focused on keeping alignment there. That will be the wind underneath the wings. Um, but I, I think anyone stepping into a position, um, at least at a chief level, Forget about in a pandemic time and feeling like they are going to try to keep everybody happy, you will actually see such negative implications on the business because you're lacking bravery, you're lacking courage, you're lacking the ability to lead. Leading is really hard and it's not popular sometimes. And, And I would encourage anybody to listen to that, own that, and know it's okay. Dissension is okay. You have to be able to guide them through the rough waters and make sure that they don't hit an iceberg. And sometimes that's not fun, right? It's it's not fun. Um, I always say going on a diet sometimes is really, really challenging. But at the end, you love the results. And sometimes transformation work and building a business has a bit of that um, in there. But I always say at the end of the day, very important to build culture. I'm a big believer in people and culture, but that doesn't mean it's a kumbaya culture. That means we have a lot of fun winning. We have a lot of fun in a high performance, you know, metric oriented environment. We we love to take those steps through stage gates to know that we're building to the next chapter. And, and I think that has become something that I get inspired by. I know the teams get inspired by. And I'm a big believer that the power of a business, especially a small business, is by the the people coming together and getting to higher levels of, you know, what people can do together, right? That level of creativity and brilliance and insight, all of those things don't happen with one or two people in a room, right? It happens with the power of a lot of people in the room. And you have to have a willingness to debate. You have to have a willingness to say it's not personal, but I totally disagree with you. And here's all the reasons why. And I think that kind of culture is a really healthy culture that can really help build. Um, I'm also a big believer in hiring outside of the industry, right? And putting a lot of people around the table with very different ideas, very dynamic and elastic thinking. Um, and, And that really sort of stretches the way that we think about things. And I would say one of the other things that I always say to people when they say, how do you think about your leadership team? And I say, I promise you, when you walk into my boardroom, you would actually have a hard time understanding who the leader is because they run circles around me all day long. My team who I've hired are better, faster, stronger. They challenge me. They bring great ideas to the table. They tell me, no, we do it together. And and that is the kind of environment that I have loved to build, Um, but it's not always easy, right? It's, it's not always easy to bring all of that together and you can't be afraid of the failures, you can't. It's gonna happen, it should happen. I say to people all the time, if you, they say, you know, what's the one piece of advice? And I say, go play in traffic. Don't get hit by the taxi, but go play in traffic. It's the only way to build and to continue to grow the organization and the team. If you're not failing, you're not on the frontier. You're just not, you're not, you're playing it too safe.
1: Challenges make better leaders. I really believe that. And I like how you mentioned um, someone that is not decisive. Really, you're not, it's just going to create more problems (laughs) within your team. No one, it's kind of like they start questioning, what do we do? Who do we look to? If this person who we're meant to be looking to can't even make a decision about this X, Y, and Z, so why should we follow them? So, yes. it just creates a lot of issues and tension within the team. And then, you know, leadership fails <laughs> in that respect. So, yeah. it's good that you are or you have been courageous in this environment and in the craziness that has come up. I think we're seeing uh, a lot of leaders coming in themselves, like showing up in good ways and even in bad ways, is coming across in both spheres, whether it's in small business or in the political space, I think we're seeing it across the board. So it's yes. really that that time It's challenging a lot of people and it's growing a lot of people. And it's kind of like, you have a choice whether or not you want to be a good leader or you want to be a bad leader. And what does a good leader really look like? It's all those things that you were talking about just a moment ago. Um, but it's but- the hard
0: path, Jay. That's, that's very important because that sounds attractive, but really in the, in the face of the pandemic and, I mean, we'll talk about it just holistically. You have to think about what really drives a lot. We're in a vacuum of leadership in the world, vacuum. And you have to, it begs the question as to why there is a culture of fear that is created. Am I going to lose my job? Is the board going to fire me, right? So I would also leave anybody with with this thought. If you are moving into a position where you're responsible for people, there is a responsibility and an accountability to not care about yourself and your future any longer it it becomes self sacrificial right so by me stepping in and saying look here's the right steps we have to take if that becomes an unpopular thing but i know in my heart it's the right thing for the team i'm happy to put my neck on the line i'm very happy to do that that's the responsibility i have as a leader but i do feel that you know we've had a, so much evolve in corporate america these days that it's leaders have become you know a, it's a cya culture it's a I don't wanna disagree with that one because I'll upset this one. And you've got this CEO that sits in the middle of a a place at times. And I hear this systemically, you read so many articles about this and it's like, you know we're just trying to keep everybody happy and the business implodes, right? So it's stay focused on the the mission at hand and what you're trying to build. Know that you have to make unpopular decisions at times, you're never gonna bring everybody along, Um, but you've gotta figure out a way to inspire people you know, towards, towards that path. And the people that don't want to get on board, eliminate the toxicity as fast as possible. It's, it's going to bring the culture down.
1: I like leaders that disrupt, disrupt things like, cause they're the ones that really make a big difference. They really, if, if I agree with their line of disruption, then definitely I'm more than willing to follow them. And cause I, I, I can learn so much from them because they're stepping outside of the comfort zone of what is actual perceived as normal and doing something different to everyone else. And I think a lot of people, they get scared of what is different. They get, they are more fear full of what is unknown than they are with really what is known because there's a comfortable space for them, even though for a lot of people, even though they are semi comfortable, there is still a little bit of fear attached, but there's more fear on the outside because it's just like, how do we, where do we go to from here? Kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So It's
0: the boogeyman. I always say that it's the big boogeyman in the closet, but, but then don't step into the leadership ranks, right? It's, that is exactly what you're doing is you're taking the helm and you're leading that ship in the middle of the night with no navigation tools at times. And there's the teams are trusting you to get through to those points and, and get them to safe harbors and really lead the business to, to good solid ground. And, You know, at times that's not um, popular. It's also a mistake that I do see some leaders make where that captain ends up down in the boiler room or in the kitchen, right? So it's, you know, as you grow, you've got to make sure that you're elevating to where you need to be and that you're hiring really strong people to run those various divisions so that you can stay up in the captain's quarters, making sure you don't hit the icebergs, connecting the verticals, putting the power of the teams together. It's That's where the magic sauce is, is sort of mixed and, and the magic is made. So it's, it's very important. And I, I do feel that, leadership is something that um we we need a lot more of and i think that definition is is malleable right people aren't clear on what that means but it's it's not sexy right it's it is very hard work it's very self-sacrificial you have to be willing to stand out on that frontier you have to be willing to take big risks and to be very clear about what that end game is and effectively lead people down that that line but it's we've got work to do. So I love spending time in universities and colleges and talking to the next generation of future leaders because it's where it's where the next teams are going to be born, right? So if you can infuse some of that into them, um you know, hopefully we'll have we'll have a great emergence as we move forward.
1: Mm, that's my hope too. I mean, I love talking about leadership and and I feel like we need more leaders in the right respect. So I appreciate all the things that you're doing, even if it's just going into universities, spreading awareness with Aspira and, and leading your team, I feel like that still makes a difference. So, you know, thank you so much for for doing that. Uh, Kylie, I've got a few more questions for you, if you don't mind. I, I do want to come back to the uh, technology aspect of the consumer and how we're moving forward. So how is Aspira Using technology to the advantage of spreading awareness into this uh, issue with ovarian cancer.
0: So Aspira is very new. And I mean, the past year we've really sort of just started with the technological platform. So it's more what's to come with Aspira, but I will tell you holistically in healthcare, I am more than impressed at what has happened from an innovation perspective in the incubators, with technology, with artificial intelligence, with deep machine learning, all of the predictive analytics that we can start to carve up in the cloud. Um, And I, I think it's fascinating to see what's happening in some of these spaces right now. Um, I've never seen investment dollars from private equity, venture capital um, go into these sections the way that they're going into it. So there's such a desperate need in the market. Um, I'm not sure that we're a great example of of that because ours is a very different platform, right? We're blood tests, we're diagnostics, but I am very encouraged to see what's happening. I do some work with some private equity firms from time to time where they'll ask me questions about various things. And some of the ideas they bring forward are absolutely, fascinating. And and what I love about it is they finally are starting to look at holistic components of healthcare through these digital apps, right? Where signs and symptoms and family history is connected and you can, you know, join this for $29 a month and have access to all of these various um, things that you can input your information into and it'll pop out what your risk factors might look like. So it, this revolution that's happening is a very important, next step in healthcare and and for two things I think most important. So one, you know, women, women will not take time away from their children or from their careers or their husband to go for four hours to the doctor's office. I, I know more women who, you know, work in the women's health space who say, I haven't seen my own gynecologist for three years. I'm guilty of it with my family history. So You know, thinking about having access to something where I can just ask them questions or talk to a doctor immediately is really important. And then you think about globally, some people have to travel six to eight hours to get to the hospital. It's not like Sydney, it's not like New York City where, you know, I'm in the outskirts of New York City. We live in a very different situation than many, many people do. So what happens when you have a woman in another country, the closest hospital is seven hours away, who's having all these signs and symptoms of ovarian cancer and will a digital health platform connect her directly to a GYN oncologist? That is very real. These are the next steps that are happening. And I think it's incredible. I think it can be so life-saving. So that's one component. The second component of technology that's fascinating me is, you know, artificial intelligence has become a buzzword out there. I don't think it's artificial intelligence. I call it adaptive intelligence. And it it is so important for the next step of healthcare, these predictive analytics, um, you know, the the machines are starting to understand patterns. If a tumor looks like this in a thousand different bodies and it's connected to these types of various family histories, you might want to think about this, right? So it, I just love the the thought of all of the work that's being done to enable physicians to make decisions faster, protect time for people and you know, maybe get them to think about things that they weren't trained to think about. Maybe a urologist will have something pop up to say that actually might be ovarian cancer. We might want to make a direct referral to the GYN oncologist. That's going to be the power of what I call adaptive intelligence. I don't like the word artificial. It's to me, it's It's teaching how to adapt around some of the diagnostic tools that are coming in. And then the the deep machine learning is just such an incredible and blockchain. I mean, blockchain is another component of this, right? So, but all of this is in place not to replace the human component of this. It's to enable proper, faster, more accurate decision support so we can save lives, um whether that's going to be done well and right i i still am questioning right there's a lot of things that are moving and they're moving very very fast um it's got to come together it's got to come together under leadership with strong moral compass um not to be aggregating data in big data lakes just to parse things out for things that are not in the best interest of patients right so you know i i'm i'm very hopeful and very encouraged by what could be moving you know for us in the future but i i will I will hope that it's done under the right kind of leadership as, as we progress, because as we all know, technology can, can sometimes take a, a little bit of a right-hand turn. we want to get back on track, you know, we've got to get back to the center here. Um, but I do, I think it's going to really improve um, care, especially out of first world countries, which I'm very excited about.
1: Yeah. Before I ask you the final question, Kylie, What's next for you? What's next for Aspira? What's, what's happening on, on the cards for you? And where do you want people to go to to learn more about the work that you do and, and Aspira? And I believe you also have a non-for-profit organization called MAS or MAT.
0: I do. So Matt is named after my mom, Marilyn Ann Trahan. Um, and it's it was co-founded with Dr. Elena Ratner and I, uh, the GYN oncologist at Yale, who is honestly one of the most incredible physicians, women I've ever met in my life. Um, and we had a lot of fun putting that together. So so what's next for me? I'm going to keep trying one life at a time to, you know, educate anyone that will listen about signs and symptoms of um, ovarian cancer and making sure that women are empowered and encouraged um, to fight for themselves and advocate for themselves. I'm going to continue to work to provide that access for women and girls um, globally if I have an ability to do that. Um. And I, I just want to make a huge difference in, in the healthcare space. At the end of my days, when I'm, you know, maybe twenty or thirty more years in, I hope to be a professor. <laughs> I actually really love um, being with the college kids and the, the university students. And you know, I, I yesterday I had the privilege of sitting at a fireside chat at Hofstra University and the questions that were coming from them. And it just was, it's such an, it's such a privilege to be able to be with the younger generation and, and be a support, right? It's a hard time trying to navigate some of that. So, um, yeah, I have a lot of these kind of, Tree hugging things inside of my heart that I hope to be able to do, and and honestly, through it all, the the lights of, of light in my life will always be my my little babies. I have a eight year old little girl and a six year old little boy, Geraldine and Colton. So, um, they will forever and always be the number one priority. And and so I I hope I have an opportunity through all of this to to work with women to teach them, you know, what have I what have been my failures in motherhood versus career, and how did I learn to balance it all and and I will say at the end of the day, you'll never be happy unless you're putting your children first. Um, that That is the most fulfilling thing. And you can have it all. You just have to be that much better than everybody else in the business world in order to have it all. You've got to be disciplined. You've got to be a student. You've got to make sure you know everything you can know about driving things forward and then you have the right to ask for the flexibility to pick up your child at four o'clock from school. So I hope I get to be a part of that with the next generation of women that come forward because it's it's been a fun ride for me.
1: Well, I can see you being the professor. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think it's uh, it's not not an achievable goal. I think it is definitely an achievable goal. And I'll be spurring and cheering you on. From afar, from Sydney, Australia, saying "Go for it, <laughs> um, Kylie! You're you're awesome, and I have no doubt that you're going to continue to achieve some amazing things in this world, and continue to promote uh, this very needed industry of women's health, and especially in the the space of ovarian cancer. So please don't stop, <laughs> uh, and I, I'll try my best to support you with with whatever I can." Uh, My final question for you is my all-time favorite question I ask everyone at the end of all my conversations. It's a hypothetical one, but I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll just call it magic for sake of argument. They've been able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life?
0: Oh, my God, Jay. Uh, I, I want the film to say that, she actually tried really hard to make it a better place and she made it a little bit better. She left the world a little bit better than she found it. Um, She pissed a lot of people off doing it. (laughs) She had a lot of fun doing it. She probably belonged, you know, with Thelma and Louise to her right and her left doing it. But she, um, you know, she, she led the, led the charge in a lot of ways. And, and, changed things at least somewhat for the better and um you know had a a group of people around her that um, she loved and um did it with her mm-hmm. um she inspired some of us and made us all angry and did all of what we do but at the end of the day it it helped some lives improve just a little bit
1: It's a perfect send-off message. Kylie, thank you so much for your time today, your wisdom, your advice, and everything that you're doing in the world and for joining me today on the Storybox podcast.
0: Jay, thank you so much. I have loved every second with you. I really appreciate you having me today.
1: I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you And don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then.
0: Do you ever feel like money is just flying out of your account and you have no idea where it's going? Well, I know. It's all of those subscriptions. I used Rocket Money to help me find out what subscriptions I'm actually spending money on and I had them cancel the ones I didn't want anymore.